If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me over to Galatians chapter 3 this morning as we continue our study through Galatians. And this morning we're going to talk about, or the title for this morning's message is really Justification by Faith. Now, if you've been around the church a long time, maybe you've heard this word, justification. But if you haven't, maybe you don't know what this word means. The word justification literally means somebody who's declared innocent. It it might be the sort of thing of you go into the courtroom, you know you're guilty of sin, but through some minor technicalities, the judge puts the gavel down and says, innocent, not guilty. That's how God looks at us in our sin. It's just as if we had never sinned. It's more of a legal, more of an accounting term. And we are justified or God, we are forgiven by God because, and what this section of Galatians is going to talk about, is because of faith, not our works. And we're going to see that difference. There's a, a struggle amongst Christians of faith and works. And we're going to talk about some of that this morning. So, Father, as we open up your word this morning, Lord, I ask that you would minister to us, that, Lord, we would hear from you. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Speak to the depth of our hearts, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. So we've been in Galatians. We've covered chapter 1 and chapter 2, and this whole theme of grace and law has been sort of a continuous one. Uh, For those that lived in Galatia, there were a group of Jews that came in, and they were saying, in order for you to be really a spiritual Christian, for you to really grow in your spiritual walk, you had to take on the Jewish laws and traditions. And the main hang-up, and most of us are not Jewish, so this doesn't always make sense to us, but the main or the primary hang-up was the issue of, guys, you ready for this? Women, you want to make your man feel uncomfortable? Use the word circumcision to him, okay? It'll make him uncomfortable anytime. Woman, you want to win an argument? Just say to your man, circumcision. And all of a sudden, he gets like a little puppy dog. Oh, no. Um, But that's what they were saying to the Gentiles. You had to be circumcised in order to grow spiritually. And then they added all kinds of things. And we'll talk some more about that as we go through this. So he says here in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, he did it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted or accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, who 
are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Back into verse 1, that first line, it says, O foolish Galatians. You know that we have different uh, translations of the Bible. I am reading out of the New King James. Maybe somebody has an NIV or New American Standard or a whole variety of different Bibles. So there's a one translation called the Phillips translation. And he translates that phrase this way. Oh, you idiots of Galatia. Okay? And it's the concept of what he's trying to say here. I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't encourage you to walk around and call one another an idiot. Okay? That's not the right term for you and I. But it comes from a Greek word, which, in the, and if I, if I mispronounce this Greek word, you can tell me afterwards, but anotaios, which it has the idea of someone who fails to think. Someone who fails to think or use their power of perception. It's the idea that maybe you do something and you just didn't think about it. Or maybe you see somebody else. It's like uh, from that uh, Back to the Future thing, McFly. Remember you bang him on the head, McFly, McFly. It's that sort of thing. Adult, I can't believe I did that. Or I thought this or did that. And that's the concept here. It's not calling somebody an idiot. It's not calling somebody not having uh, intellect. It's saying you're not using what you do have. Parents, have you ever said something like that to your child? Come on. Think about it. You know better. It doesn't matter whether they're two years old or 20 years old. As a parent, sometimes you say the very same thing. Come on, I know you know better. I know that you know how to tie your shoes. I know that you know how to do this and do that. And then he goes on to say, who has bewitched you? Or, and the idea here is who put you under a spell? But it's not the spell that you and I might think of in the sense of um, kind of a witchcraft kind of thing. But it's more of a spell of being delusional or not thinking clearly. It's having your thinking clouded. Sort of in a fog. Maybe when you first wake up in the morning, maybe even this morning when you first woke up, you were sort of foggy when you wake up. It's that sort of thing. Or maybe you've been really tired and you're just not able to think clearly and it's just, it takes all your might just to put the key into the door of your house. That's the idea of, of being foggy in your thinking. For us, it's the idea of being unbiblical in our thinking. I mean, we have the Bible available to us. We have, again, different translations, different versions of the Bible. You can get it on your smartphone. You can uh, listen to it as, a, as it's being spoken to. You can read it. There's all kinds of things that we can do with it. And yet, in our country, our culture, we are oftentimes bewitched or foolish or acting like idiots or clouded because we do things that are unbiblical. And Christians aren't immune from that. Somebody says, well, I know the Bible says I shouldn't sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but I prayed about it, and God says it's okay for me. That is unbiblical, okay? That is foolish. You're acting like the idiot. You have cloudy vision when you say something like that. And yet maybe... You've been guilty of that. Or maybe you know somebody else who's been guilty of that. 
And that's the concept here. So he's not saying you don't have an intellect. He's not saying that you're like somebody cast a spell on you and you can't help yourself. It's the idea that you're not using the resources that you already have. It's the idea that you memorized the Bible verse, but you just didn't put it into practice. Or you didn't consider it. And that's the idea here. And he goes on to say, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Now, sometimes it's easier to look at what something isn't saying. What Paul is not saying is that everybody in the region of Galatia, think of the region as kind of like a state, not everybody in the region of Galatia was there at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that God revealed himself to each and every single one of you. And you know for a fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're convinced of that. That's not the issue. But again, your vision has been clouded or you're acting foolish, or because of pride or self-sufficiency, you're not living what you know is true for you. That's the idea here. It's more like this idea. It's like Jesus was crucified as like a billboard. I mentioned for you a moment ago a little scene out of that Back to the Future movie, you know, McFly, McFly. And most of you, if not all of you, understood that. Because it's something that's just sort of common knowledge in our culture. I can tell you this, if you're a football fan, you know about the Tim Tebow story. Or you've heard about him. Now, if you're not a football fan, that's okay. But the idea is it's something that's so obvious to the rest of us. It's something that's just so clear. And so here's the argument. It's quite simple. You're foolish Galatians. Because you're not applying what you really do know. Have you, has somebody put dark glasses on your eyes that you can't see the scriptures? And he said, come on, you know better than that because you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And it's whoever, John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know this. It's plain. It's simple. It's not hidden yet you're not responding to it. And that's the foolish or the idiot or the bewitched part of it. Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. What's the point of being crucified? It's the fact that Jesus, again, rose from the grave. How many of us, and even back in the people in Galatians' day, could take credit for the fact that Jesus died on a cross and then rose again? Can any of us take credit for that? Well, <laughs> Yes, I, I was there and I, um, I helped him you know, unwrap the grave clothes and get out of the grave. No, none of us were there. And so it's foolish for us to think if we didn't physically do something to make Jesus raised from the grave, why in the world do we as Christians today think that we can do something to make ourselves grow spiritually? And that's the whole argument of this section. I only want to know this, verse 2. I only want to... Um, I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Think back. The day, the moment, the time that you became a born-again Christian. Now, for some of you, you grew up in the church and it was just a time, maybe at three years old, maybe at 30 years old, where it all of a sudden kind of all made sense and you said yes to Jesus. Maybe for somebody else, you were living a lifestyle absolutely contrary to God. 
But God caught up with you and you said yes to Jesus. If you would, in your mind's eye, think back to that moment. For me, it was November of 1979. I'd grown up in a church. Matter of fact, in the church that I grew up in, I thought I was pretty good. I, now, I wasn't, but I thought I was, okay? Because one of the things I had learned, not because somebody sat down and taught me, but just sort of by experience, is I learned how to fold my hands and make people think I was nicer than I really was. Anybody ever guilty of that? No, just me? Okay. You know, I fold my hands. I have this little cute little smile on my face, even though inside my mind I'm thinking I'm going to stab you in the back. But, okay, that was my condition. Again, this was November of 1979. And I was sitting in the back row of the church. Somebody was playing, and this was dating me, a cassette tape. Anybody know what cassette tapes are? Okay. All the youth are in the back are going, cassette tapes? What? A cassette tape, and this was a cassette tape of a concert by a Christian artist by the name of Keith Green. If you're familiar with Keith Green and his concerts, what he usually does is play three songs and preach the whole rest of the time. And that's exactly what he did. Now, I want you to get this, okay? I was in the back row of a church listening to a cassette tape of a concert, and as he was sharing and preaching during this concert, God convicted me of my sin, and I realized I wasn't a Christian. And it was in that moment, there wasn't an altar call. There was just simply, Jesus, I don't know if this is real or what, but I want you in my life. That's the way that God worked in my life. For somebody else, maybe it is going forward to a crusade, like a Greg Laurie crusade. Maybe it was your friend or your sister or your brother sharing with you faith in Christ, and they led you through a, a, what we call a sinner's prayer. But here's the thing. As I recall those events, I look back and say, that was God that worked. Who in the world gets saved listening to a tape of a concert? But that's how God worked in my life. Now, obviously, God had been working in my life prior to that time. But again, it was November of 1979. I can clearly remember it like it was yesterday. What about you? Do you have an event in your life? whether you know the day and the time or you just know that this was the season that God worked in my life, and I can say from this day forward, I know that I'm a Christian. My point of telling you my story is twofold. One, I want you to know that there does need to be in each of our lives a moment in time that we can say, I became a Christian. Now again, maybe it's three years old and your memory is vague. You just know that all I know is mom and dad took me to church and I've always been a Christian and I've always been committed to Christ. And that's wonderful. By the way, that's the way the Lord worked in my wife's life. I'm more stubborn heart-headed than she is. And the second point is this. The circumstances of my coming to Christ had nothing to do with the church building had nothing to do with the sound system and the lights or anything else. It had nothing to do with how they had recorded things. It was totally and absolutely a work of God. And I hope that each and every one of you can say, yes, it was a work of God. And if it was a work of God like that, then we're so foolish and blinded and unbiblical to think my faith in Christ began in faith like this, a work of God. And now I'm trying to somehow to perfect myself 
in my own doing, in my own efforts, what we call works or works of the flesh. And that's what the book of Galatians is talking about. Are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Your walk with God began in the spirit. It began that way. It began in faith. And you and I need to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. You see, the Galatians had received the Holy Spirit through simple believing in Jesus or simple faith. The Holy Spirit or spiritual growth is not a prize that we win because we do certain things. It's not a prize or an achievement that you get because you studied really hard in college or that you're really diligent at work. That's not how it works. You see, the Gentiles who had come in to the Galatian church, or excuse me, me back up, the Jews who had come in to the Galatian church were saying to these non-Jews, which were Gentiles, they were saying to them something like this. In order for you to really grow spiritually, you have to become like me, a Jew which means you've got to keep the dietary laws, you've got to keep the Sabbath laws, and also, and a big deal for them, is all of you guys, you have to be circumcised. Now, for a Jew, it was pretty easy to say that because it happened to him when he was eight days old, right? He's a baby, he has no recollection of it. He just looks down and says, yep, I was circumcised. Okay, so there's a, pride of, there's a sense of pride and arrogance that I'm superior to anyone else. Anybody ever feel that way? That spiritually you're superior to somebody else because, well, I never did that. Or maybe I've done a bunch of stuff and God has rescued me and now I'm more spiritual than you. And that's not the point at all. It was never by works that you were rescued. You remember when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves on either side of him on the cross. Both of them died Roughly the same time as Jesus. One of them was proud and self-sufficient and was asking Jesus to rescue him as Jesus would rescue himself from this predicament. The other one was much more tender-hearted, humble before the Lord, and asked for God to be merciful to him. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross never had the opportunity to do anything except experience faith. Now, before I go too much further, let me be sure to clear something up. Faith is not a substitute for a sinful lifestyle. You can't say, well, I'm saved by faith, but I'm robbing the stores, and it's okay because, well, I'm saved by faith. I'm sleeping around, but it's okay because I'm saved by faith. You know, I'm throwing rocks at people and off the the overpass and killing people, but it's okay because I'm saved by faith. That's not what it's saying at all. The book of James is quite clear on this. Demonstrate or show forth your genuine faith by how you live your life. But our way that we are rescued or saved, the way that we grow in our relationship with Christ, is completely dependent upon God. Foolish for us. To think, if I just read my Bible more, then I won't struggle with sin anymore. If I just 
played Christian music in my car, then I would no longer have temptations in my life. And those are systems or things that we sometimes do that set us up for failure. It's not how much you read the Bible. It's how much of the Bible gets into your heart. Do you understand the difference? Now, the reading process is part of how that happens, but it's into your heart, so it's lived out. It's not that playing worship music in your car or Christian music is bad, but is it just white noise to you, or is the music affecting you? Now, music is a very powerful medium. It drives people. If you're ever really sleepy and you put something on upbeat, does it not help you to stay awake? If you want to go to sleep, maybe you put on something slow. Music can move us. But what direction is the music moving us? Is it moving us closer to a walk with Christ? And and I'm all for Christian music, all forms of Christian music. But is it moving you closer to faith in Christ? Or is it just something to do so that somebody else thinks that you're better. You see, we need to continue in simple faith in Christ. You see, there's a principle of law that I can justify myself by the things I do. And then there's the principle of grace, which is, God, you got to work in me. And that's what we're delineating or, or talking about here. Under the law, we bless, we're blessed, or we grow because we earn or we deserve something. That's what the law says. Because I didn't eat shellfish or didn't eat pig, therefore I deserve to be more spiritual than somebody else. And that's not what the gospel of grace is all about. Instead, so under the law we're blessed and we grow spiritually because we earn it. And that's not what God says at all. Instead, under grace... We're blessed and we grow spiritually by what? Receiving, by believing and receiving. And that's the difference between what we call the covenant of grace and the covenant of law or the agreement of law. You see, in the law, it's all about what you do. Under this covenant of grace, it's all about what God has done for you. Now, you're still an active participant. I don't want to get you confused there. But it's about believing and clinging to Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples of legalism or legalistic thinking that we might find in the churches today. I mean, it's one thing for me to say not to eat shellfish. You go, well, okay, I don't like shellfish anyway, so what's the big deal? Um, or one thing for me to say to, have, to be circumcised or uncircumcised. But what do we do in the church world today that maybe is similar to some of these things or the same reliance? And I don't know if you can read all these, but I'll read them to you. Here are some examples. In some churches or in some Christian circles, certain things are forbidden. Okay? The consumption of alcohol. Now, let me just share with you personally. If you drink alcohol, you can still be a believer in Christ. But I know for myself, the Lord has convicted me, and this is way before I ever became associated with Calvary chapels or anything else, but the Lord convicted me. I've never had a problem with alcohol, but the Lord convicted me that I was not to be drinking alcohol. Here's what happened. Sherry and I were going to a small little independent church. It was Christmas time, and they had a fellowship thing. They'd rented out a hall, and it was a a church filled with mostly Italians. So it was like, you know, lasagna, spaghetti, and all the grandmothers brought in all the greatest things. And, of course, if you're from an Italian family, what goes with a 
Italian dinner, Kino. So red wine, all kinds. And one of the guys <laughs> gave to Sherry and I for a wedding present some wine that he had made himself. Oh, it was terrible. But anyways, <laughs> at this event, there was a gentleman who came in, started to sit down to eat, and then he left. And I said, what's the... And so I went to him and I said, where are you going? What's wrong? He says, I, I, I do struggle with alcohol and I can't be here with everyone else drinking. If I stay here, I'm too tempted to drink. And I know if I have one drink, it turns into five drinks, which turns into I go back on a binge. And so for me personally, he said, you guys go, you stay there, you have a fun time. I just can't be there. And I thought about that. And I realized that my behavior, my license, could be a stumbling block to somebody else. And that was the time the Lord convicted me. Okay, so, but we're not saying, well, you, have, you can't drink alcohol, but how about this? How about smoking? I've never smoked in my life. But if you're a smoker, you're still welcome to be part of God's kingdom. In the Bible, it doesn't say, for God so loved the world, for all those who do not smoke, they will enter heaven. What it does say is all those who, what, believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's vaping. Maybe it's playing cards or dancing or movies or more even today. Shall I dare say, the internet? <gasps> you can be a Christian and be on the internet, okay? Now those things, there's reasons why some people have said no to those things, and that's fine. But your salvation is not based on saying no to those things. How about this one? You can only be baptized in Jesus' name. How about this? You go to get baptized, whoever's baptizing you, you don't have any control. They hold you under the water and they say some things, right? And if I know you well, I'll hold you under longer, okay? They hold you underwater and they bring you up. And then somebody goes, well, that guy, he didn't say the right words when you're under. That's not the basis of your salvation. Yet some churches or some circles suggest that. How about you have to maintain a certain dress code? You know what the dress code is for us here at Calvary Chapel Garland? Wear clothes. That's the dress code. Wear clothes, okay? If you want to come in a, in a suit... Wonderful. You want to come in jeans and a t-shirt? Wonderful. We do ask that you wear clothes. That's, that's preferable, yes. But there's not a certain dress code. But in some circles, there are certain dress codes. For some, maybe it's no tattoos. If you have a tattoo, God still loves you. I don't have any. But that doesn't mean that if you do, that God loves you somehow less. How about this? Certain styles of dress, you know, like dressing like a biker. You know, leather, leather pants, leather, you know, now girls, you want to wear leather, you know, leather vest, long hair, something else like, does that mean a biker can't be saved? Absolutely not. Does it mean that the guy in the three-piece suit that spent $1,000 on a, on a suit or 3000 6000 does that mean he's not saved? No. Are there certain styles of cars that are acceptable and unacceptable? If you drive a minivan, then you're in the crowd the Christian crowd, but if you drive like a BMW or a sports car, then you're out? No, that's not the requirements, but sometimes in the church world, we make those sort of requirements. How about this? You can only be saved in our church. I know that you went forward at such and such a church, but no, it has to be at our church, so you got to get saved again. Or how about this one? This one becomes sort of a controversy in some church circles. You have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit 
with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not really born again. And if once you grew spiritually, you would speak in tongues like, like I do. And that's not what God is saying at all. So sometimes we add all these layers on to what God simply said. It is to grow in faith. So go ahead. Make my day. Break the rules. That's the idea of legalism. And it's the idea that sometimes we, we look at people looking down at them like as if they're not spiritual enough. And that's not at all what God is saying. Not at all. Several years ago, somebody had uh, given us a jet ski, and for the first season, we, we rode it around, and it was great and everything else, and I didn't know much about jet skis at that time, and I just parked in my yard, and it sat all winter long. If you're familiar with jet skis or other small engines, you know there's things you're supposed to do to them during the wintertime, so they run the next season. Well, I didn't know that. And so, this, you know, got warm about this time of year, me and my kids, because my wife is a lot smarter than me, we went, we took off in Lake Ray Hubbard, and the engine was running a little rough, you know, but I figured, you know, we'll just drive fast and it'll get working better. All the women are laughing right now, like, oh, he's such a fool. Yes. So we get in the middle of Lake Ray Hubbard, and the engine just dies, literally dies. And, of course, me being a self-sufficient, prideful man, man says, it's okay, I will just swim the rest of the way back, towing the jet ski and my kids, okay? Now, my kids are a lot more spiritual than I am because they're starting to wave for passerbys and say, would you please help us? Not me. I'm swimming away. About a half hour later, I'm like, this is hard. And finally, somebody did come, not for me, for my kids, right? Uh, there's a guy out here, two kids are here, and they towed us in. Now imagine that same story, but imagine I was upstream, we were upstream from Niagara Falls. And I, in my own ability and strength, are trying to rescue myself from the middle of the river as the current is taking me downstream to Niagara Falls. Would I be foolish to reject anyone else's help. They throw out a ladder, they throw out a rope, a boat comes along. And I would say to them in pride and self-sufficiency, no, it's okay, I'll take care of it myself until I go over Niagara Falls. That's how it is in our spiritual lives. We are people that desperately need Jesus. Whatever your issue is, whether it's anger that you have an issue with, that you need to have Christ minister to you in. Maybe it's lustful thoughts. Maybe it's an addiction of some type. Maybe it's unforgiveness for the past. Whatever it is that is in, enslaving you, and you keep saying, I'll fix it myself. God, I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. I can see the shore, and I'm just going to keep swimming until I get there not realizing that this whole jet ski is like a big anchor. And not only am I in the middle of the lake, but I'm actually going downstream to Niagara Falls ready to crash and burn. That's what it's like to try to grow as a Christian by your own strength. 
if I just stopped smoking, then I would become more of a Christian. If I just got up at 5 a.m. every morning and took cold showers, then I would be more of a Christian. If I memorized a thousand verses, then I'd be more of a Christian. That's not the point. Now, you know me. I encourage you to memorize the Scripture, but not for the sake of saying, look at me, I've memorized the Scripture, for the sake of having the Scripture come into your heart and then be lived out in your life. And that's what it's like to be a Christian who's dependent upon the grace or the work of God in your life. Do you have a, an issue with anger in your life that you want God to resolve? If you haven't, then start today asking God to resolve that. For you to see things in a more biblical perspective. I mean, let's look at the anger of issue. Why are you angry? Because somebody didn't do you right. And maybe you're right. Maybe you got a whole bunch of people that say, yes, that was unfair. Until you begin to look at Jesus Christ. How was he treated? How did he love you? How have you treated him? How dare I be angry at my fellow brother or sister, maybe an unbeliever, when Jesus has done so much for me? You see, then I become no longer foolish or like an idiot or somebody who is unbiblical because I begin to see things from a biblical perspective. Now, I'm not saying that anger is an easy issue to get over. It is something that is extremely difficult. We could take addictions. We could take unforgiveness. There's a whole long list of things. And they are overwhelming. We need to understand that it is like us swimming with a jet ski on our back, but being pulled down to Niagara Falls. That's how desperate it is. And shame on us when we keep thinking, I'll do better next time. I'll, I'll, I'll get over that temptation by myself. That's why God has created us as a church body to minister to one another, to pray for one another, to cry out to God and say, God, would you radically take these things away? Replace it with you. That's what we need. We need much more of the grace of God. God is powerful enough to take away that addiction. Now, here's the problem with most addictions. They don't go away right away. And we want them to right away. I used to work with a coworker who for 20 years smoked a pack a day. And then one day, he just decided to quit smoking. And he did, just like that. Took his half a pack of cigarettes and said, I'm done with this. Threw it away. Never even had a withdrawal symptom. Never even tempted to smoke again. And he was the worst guy to talk to if you were a former smoker. Because he would just say, well, just quit. That's it, just quit. Here, I'll throw the cigarettes away for you. And he, he, because he didn't have any of the struggles that others, most others have. If you have a problem, a difficulty, God understands your struggle. Can God and has God in the past in different people's lives worked miraculously and immediately deliver them? Yes. But what about the rest of us? I mean, I want God to miraculously work in my life. Don't get me wrong. But there are some areas in my life the Lord has not worked miraculously. And so it's an issue of faith, an issue of perseverance, an issue of trusting in the Lord. Sometimes it is a every three minutes, Lord, help me. And maybe you're like me and you say, but God, I don't think it's fair. Joe over here quit smoking just like that. Why am I still struggling with this? 
And I think God would answer us this way, because I want you to grow in faith. You see, Joe is unable to minister to anybody who has a struggle with smoking. Why? Because <laughs> he quit just like that. He has no compassion for them. You know, he's the guy that wants to just throw a bucket of water on somebody who's smoking and say, just quit. Versus somebody else who has a struggle with it and who has seen God have victory in their life and can be compassionate to the person and say, look, I'll help you through this, but we've got to, there's a few things we got to do here. One is to go ahead and get rid of the cigarettes. But let's pray with one another. Let's seek the Lord together. And as the Lord does this incremental deliverance process, you can see the hand of God there. Now, maybe it's grief because of the loss of a loved one. I mean, come on. How would you like somebody to be your grief counselor who has no care or concern? Their heart's never been broken by somebody else. That's like when I used to go to the Catholic church, and it just always never made sense to me. Why would you as a couple getting married or having marital problems go to a priest who's not married? I mean, come on. How is he going to be able to relate? Okay? I got way off topic, but that's okay. (laughs) Moving on to verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Indeed, if it was in vain. Remember, the church at Galatia and other churches did suffer persecution. They suffered persecution because of their what? Their works or their faith in the law? Did they suffer persecution because they had circumcision or because they expressed faith in Christ? And the answer is because they had expressed faith in Christ. So then moving on to verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he not do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If God has ever worked in your life in a miraculous way, was it because you did something? You fasted, and therefore God met me. I swore off the internet, and then God met me. Or was it because of faith? And Paul's argument here in Galatians is it is always, always by faith. As homework this afternoon, read through Hebrews chapter 11. There's list after list of individuals that did mighty great things, like a Noah and so forth. And we tend to look at Noah and we go, man, what a great guy. Look what he did. But the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 says what? He did it by faith. It wasn't the fact that he built the ark. It was the fact that he did it in faith. Paul's going to bring out a different example. He's going to bring out the example of Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. This comes from uh, Genesis. And I'll just give you the verse here. Genesis chapter 15. In this story here, Abraham does not have any kids. Matter of fact, at this point, he's called Abram. And he has no kids, no nothing. His nearest sort of person who could inherit his flock was like a, a third cousin kind of idea, okay? And here, in the midst of this, God promises him that he would bless Abraham to the point that He took Abraham outside, or Abram outside. He said, look up into the heavens, and imagine 
you go out to West Texas, East Texas, maybe Oklahoma, out away from the city, and you look up at the stars. And just look at all those stars, and I even dare you today to try to count them. And then add a binoculars to that. And then if you're really into this, add a telescope or something else. A few weeks ago, Ted brought out a telescope and allowed us to see, even from our own parking lot here, just the magnitude of stars and things out there. And that's what God did to Abram. And he said, look at them, count them. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Before Abraham ever did any of the works of the law, before he was ever circumcised, before Sarah ever became pregnant, God said to Abraham, you are justified or accounted by faith. He says it here in uh, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15. And he believed the Lord, after God had given these promises, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He said, Abraham, you are righteous. Why? Because you believe. But we need to understand, this belief is not believing in Jesus, like we oftentimes say. Sometimes you'll talk to somebody. Do you believe in a God? Yes, I believe in a God. It's much more than that. It's not a belief in an intellectual understanding or an intellectual belief that, okay, I think there might be a higher power out there. That's not the belief that the Bible is talking about. Belief is to trust in, to rely upon, or cling to Jesus. That's what we mean. It's the exercise of trust, which is what we call faith. Faith in God constitutes the highest form of worship for us. It's our prime duty. It's the first obedience of our lives. It's the first duty of man or woman is to believe and believe not in just a, again, I think there might have been somebody by the name of Jesus a long time ago, but a trust in, a reliance to, a clinging to. When you came in this morning, every single one of you sat down in your chair. When you sat down, you exercised trust. I didn't see anybody turning the chair over to make sure the welds were good, to make sure the seat cushions are, are screwed on tight. You just, because it worked last time, you just sat down. That's trust or faith. And that's what you and I need to do. It's not our words or our mind, but it's our whole being, our whole heart, saying, I do believe in Jesus. Continuing on here, he says, therefore, verse 7, Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Do you understand that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that trust, that clean, relying upon, you are a descendant of Abraham. Not because of your genetics, not because of your family history, but by faith. We are all children of God by faith. Verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and I, non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are our faith, of faith excuse me, are blessed with believing Abraham. 
you and I grow spiritually because we put our trust, our reliance, we cling to Jesus. Stop trying to do things in your own effort. Cry out to God, God, change my heart. Lord, I have this anger that I'm just, is controlling me. I have this substance that's controlling me. Lord, I want to walk in faith, but it's so difficult for me. Would you, in desperation, call out to God and let the God of the Bible meet you where you're at? Now, we say this, and this is all good, and you might even say this morning, Pastor Dwayne, that's good. Okay, that's nice for you. And I like the, I like the jet ski thing. That made me laugh, okay? But here's the deal. You can't walk in faith if you're dragging a jet ski around with you or an anchor. If smoking is the issue, then yes, get rid of the cigarettes, but cling to God to get, cleanse you from those cigarettes. Now, again, remember, we're not saying that cigarette smoking prevents you from being saved or from being saved. I'm just saying if there's some habit in your life, and I'm just using that as an illustration, and if you're a smoker, I'm not picking on you, please. Believe me, I'm not. I'm just using it as an illustration. If you say you want to stop smoking, then one of the first things you ought to do is stop buying the cigarettes, right? My dad, years ago, told me that if I found myself in, the, in a hole, the first thing I should do is stop digging. So if you have a problem with alcohol, don't go to the liquor store, right? Or don't go to your friend's house that's having a kegger, Right? If you have an issue with anger, but you hang out with people that are always filled with anger, maybe you ought to change the company you're hanging out with. Get rid of that jet ski. Get rid of that anchor. Now, that's not the only solution, obviously. God wants to work in your life in such a real and powerful way. You need somebody from outside of yourself to transform you, and that's what the Bible talks about. If you have had faith in Christ, you had a moment. For me, again, it was November of 1979, where you knew that you asked in faith for Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, and usually most of us would have said something like, and come into my heart and make me a brand new person. Maybe you knew those words, maybe you didn't understand those words, but that's what we're asking this morning. If you've never done that, then I want to ask you to do that this morning. I don't care how long you've gone to church, you've never gone to church before, but ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and make you a new person. But maybe you've already done that, but you find yourself struggling with something. Would you in faith this morning say, Jesus, take away, control my life. Lord, I've tried. I tried to swim across Lake Ray Hubbard with a jet ski tied behind me. And Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm tired of dealing with this addiction or this, this anger issue or this unforgiveness. Lord, I'm tired of trying to do everything myself and always failing. Jesus, I need you to take over my life. I'm not talking about the issue of being born again. I'm talking about living as a born-again, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christian. I say Spirit-filled. I don't mean that you got to speak in tongues and do all kinds of weird things that we talk about sometimes in the church world, but I do mean you need the power of God to overcome whatever the various issues are. 
that you can have the joy of your salvation because you're walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus is not just because you don't wear certain clothes or you do wear certain clothes. It's about a day-by-day existence with God. This afternoon, would you again invite God to come into your life, into your family's life? Maybe you have a situation at work or in your family that is just overwhelming. Will you call out to Jesus to minister to your heart and then to the hearts of others? It's an issue of faith. So many years, I had come to faith in Christ, but then I thought that because I got up at five in the morning that somehow God would love me more and bless me more. And in my particular situation, I was still in high school. I'd get up at five in the morning to read my Bible, and usually I was reading it like this. Until my dad came along as he was leaving for work and said, hey, you want to get up for school or are you going to just sit, you know, sleep in your Bible all the time? I'm not saying getting up at five in the morning is a bad idea. But I understand this. I found this out in school really fast. Osmosis, just putting your face in the book, doesn't make you learn anything, okay? So it is with our Christian walk. We call it a walk. It's walking daily with Christ. Jesus, thank you for this food. Jesus, help me love my wife better. Jesus, help me be a better parent. Jesus, would you fill me with your love for this person? Because you know right now, I'm pretty irritated at so-and-so. But Lord, would you help me love them with the love of Christ? And you will be amazed at how God will work those kinds of miracles in your lives. God is more than able to do that.